Today's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 23. It's on page 1111 in the Blue Bibles. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The second reading comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, and it's on page 1201. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and wealthy passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Good to be with you. Uh, it's great to look at uh, grace again today, and we're going to get stuck into thinking about why grace is so amazing. Let me pray, and then um, we'll, we'll get stuck in. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together today, and we pray that we will uh, reflect on your word. More than that, see the grace of uh of you in Jesus and how we live by it. Amen. Now, actually, I'm going to just do something. I forgot to do something earlier in the week, so I just need to give, um, where is Tom? Here's some $50, Tom, that I owe you. All right, there you go, Tom. There's 50 Tim, for being my friend. I have to keep paying Tim to be my friend. Um, this happens regularly. And, um, you, you know what? Tim, I'm just going to give you $50. There you go. There you go. Now, just to be clear, that's an illustration. <laughs> that's coming back. <laughs> Why did I give it to Tim? That's, that was <laughs> now, why did I give people money then? Why did I do it? Well, 
Tim, Tim demands, you know, a reason to earn his friendship, and so I thought I'd pay him off. I'm hoping that Tom might do some work for us, uh, maybe in the garden, and so I want to pay him, earn his wage. And, um, and Tim, ah, I had an extra $50 and I just gave it to him. He didn't do anything at all. I just gave him $50. I've given three people um, some money for three very different reasons. How we think about relating to God can come across in those ways and many others. But God wants us to have clarity on how we relate to Him and who He is, how grace works and how it's not just an abstract concept. And that's why the passage of Titus is so fantastic. It's a great passage to uh, think about, to wrestle with and to, to be challenged by. See, what we have in this passage uh, today, and if you've got an outline there, it's helpful for you to, to wrestle with uh, on, pa- on whatever page it's on, because I don't have an outline in front of me, um, you can see Titus is there, that passage. And you can see... Excuse me, you can see how in the outline I've just given three ideas and a word to fill in, to go forward. You see, first of all, we see that grace is there. We see in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. But what is grace? It's certainly not the relationship that Tim and I have where I have to pay him weekly for being his friend. Right? I have to earn in some way the friendship. Okay? That's not what grace is. It's certainly not when someone does something for you and then you pay them their due, their wages, like the example with Tom, that's not grace. Grace is a little bit more like me giving Tim money for no reason. You have done nothing at all for me to give you $50. That's right, isn't it, Tim? (laughs) But I just gave him $50. Now, that was an illustration, and I'm going to forget later, so I'm going to collect this back. Thank you. It's already in your wallet, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, thank you, Tom. (laughs) You see, um, the fact of the matter is, just to be fair, um, if I ever have lunch with um, Tim, he very rarely lets me pay, and he pays lunch, so that was kind of... Um, completely unfair of me. Now, you see, grace is something you don't deserve. It is receiving something, not just that you don't deserve, but far more than you deserve. And what we're talking about today, if that's what grace means, we're talking about God's grace. You see, in verse 11, for the grace of God... It's a fantastic picture. But as I just mentioned, it's not theoretical. It's not just, well, this is what it is and and we need to philosophise about it and think about the concept and get our heads around the idea. Have a look what it goes on to say. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. That is extraordinary. I think it's the only time in the Bible where we see the grace in the New Testament is pointed to a person appearing, who is Jesus. Grace is 
Jesus. It's a person. We don't need to come up with a theory or an abstract notion. The Christmas message is a celebration. Why is it a celebration? Because, as Matthew says, God is with us. That is what we have. God with us. Consider Jesus, God, ruler of all, actually creator of all things, ruler of all, becoming flesh. That is a gracious act in of itself. Consider what we as humans are desperate to have, our rights vindicated as an Australian I want my Australian rights. As a human, I want my human rights. And that in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. But here we have the God of the universe give up his rights to become flesh for us. It's an amazing picture. But what does he offer? What does he bring? Does he bring a better life? Does he bring, well, the things that I need? Does he bring satisfaction and contentment right now? Those things may happen, but that's not actually what he's coming with his grace to bring. He brings, he offers salvation. That is what the God of the universe is saying to you today, he's offering you. Now, that first reading we had today was of the Apostle Paul who went to the Areopagus. And when he was in the Areopagus there and he saw all their gods and he said, you've even got a statue to an unknown God. And his whole point was, I stopped the passage at the point where he says, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. What does he go on to do? He goes on to talk about the God who has appeared, the one true living God. He goes on to say that he died and rose again. That our concept of God, our concept of what he's like, is not something that we wonder and consider but can't know. Because 2,000 odd years ago, Jesus became flesh out of grace, who is grace, to live for us. And so Paul was desperate to tell these people who think, oh look, they were religious, maybe unlike what our culture is today, so they wanted to kind of in some ways cover all their bases and even the unknown base. And so he's like, that's not okay because God, you don't have to wonder because he's appeared. When something appears, you don't have to wonder anymore, do you? It's there. And God's grace isn't a hope. It has come in Jesus. That is an extraordinarily comforting thing to hear, don't you think? Grace appears. You know, you know the comedian Ricky Gervais? Um, office, he invented the office, the English one. 
he is well known for being an absolute hater of religion and, and of God. And um, he was on um, uh, Stephen Colbert's show, who um, believes in God, and whatever that looks like for him. But he, he um, and they're having their debate, and he says, don't you like Jesus? He says to him, he says, oh, I like the idea of him. He's, the kind stuff's good. But the, real, but the reality is, you can't be, um, you can't see good people in Christianity, you can't see uh, good people who, who are atheists. Well, you can see, sorry. And you can see bad people in Christianity, you can see bad people as atheists. I just like the idea, but that's it. And then he went on to say he, he finds more comfort with dogs than in God. See, he, he kind of was an interesting thing to say. Because what he's saying is, I like the idea of what Jesus brought, his kindness, but I don't like the fact that, you know, they say he's God. But Jesus didn't really come to bring kindness. The idea that he likes about Jesus is actually a made-up one. Because he came, not with, to bring kindness, perfect kindness was his character, but he came to bring salvation. But then at the same time, he did actually stumble on something quite accidentally, I would suggest. That it's not about being good or bad in where you belong. You know, there are good and bad people all over the place. Actually, it's not about that. It's about everyone needing God. It's not about being religious to be good. It's about everyone, whoever you are, needing God. And so what we have is a God who has come in the world and he's come with grace. How is he going to come? How is he going to appear? What is he going to do? Well, if we skip, if we skip down to a, a verse 14, we see it. Have a look at verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. He comes with grace. You know, grace, something you don't deserve. If I did actually let Tim keep that $50, that's reasonably generous, right? Grace has generosity as part of it. Jesus came with generosity. He gave himself. He chose to. He willingly, every single moment of him doing what his father wanted, he did willingly. He chose to do it out of generosity. And why did he do it? He gave him very self. He gave himself. He died for us. God's grace achieves redemption. Can you see in verse 14? He gave himself for us to redeem us. I don't know if you know that word, redeem, but it actually just means to be pulled out of something bad, to be pulled out of slavery. If you're wrapped in chains and you have been freed from those chains, that is what the idea of redemption means. And what we're seeing here is it's saying humanity is in chains. Humanity is captive to their sin. In this passage it says wickedness to identify rejection of God. 
And he's saying, Jesus' grace, the one who isn't captive, who isn't chained up, who isn't a slave to sin, who is completely perfect, through his death, frees you from your chains. That is an impressive picture. And this isn't just someone's interpretation. We've seen that's what Paul the Apostle said about Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. We're seeing him say this, we're seeing him act it out in Athens, but Jesus himself said that this was his mission. The famous verse that we often use here in Golden Grove, Mark 10, 45, we see, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus willingly came to pay our problem. To achieve it through redemption. Do you think that you're a captive to wickedness without Jesus? That's a pretty harsh thing to say, I reckon. Do you think that you've got a problem or not? See, to be a captive to wickedness is to be thinking, I'll do whatever I want. To be selfish. To go my own way. It's to have at its core the anthem of Frank Sinatra. The anthem, you can see a picture of uh, Frank in his younger days, the song that is sung over and over again, apparently it's one of the number one um, karaoke songs. I did it my way. It's a great song. People think, yeah, I'll do it my way. That is a great thing. It's a good thing. It is the anthem of humanity without God. I don't need God because I can do it myself. And he sang it with style and with class and with that voice that he had that even today, all these years later, and someone who doesn't listen to that style of music, I could, I could burst out in song right now. I'm not going to but I could. Do we think Jesus, his grace was to pull us out of that kind of captivity? There are two, there are two perspectives, I think, that we can come at this from. We can come at it and think, you know what, I know I'm not perfect and I'm guilt-ridden. I'm guilt-ridden. How am I going to possibly be right with God? I read the Bible, I do some Christian things or I do some religious things, but I'm, I know that I've done things wrong. I'm guilt-ridden. If only the other people in this room knew what I have done. But you can also come at it you know, could do a 360 and come at it the other way, which many people do as well. We just don't think we need freedom. Of course, we have it already. That what we're seeing is captivity, we actually think is our freedom. We don't need Jesus or his redemption because life is fine. It's all good. I don't need to come and, and uh, follow him because I'm happy with my lot. I can be apathetic to God. 
you know what? It's not that I'm apathetic to God. I'm just a good person. I don't need it. You may be here today wondering about God and, 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 and not necessarily a follower of Jesus. And maybe you can relate to one or two of those or sometimes, I think many people sometimes slip in between them. I'm a good person, I'm a good person, stuff up in a big way and then kind of go into that, um, oh, I'm just no good for anyone, but then after a while go back, to, oh, I'll just be a good person again. And, and we kind of get all caught up. It's not helpful, I think. You see, if we think that we're not perfect and we have a problem, can you see how the grace of God has appeared to bring salvation is to tell you it's not about your morality in any way whatsoever. It's not about how good you are. Have a look at Titus chapter 2 and find where it says that you will be saved by the amount of good that you do. It's not about that. Redemption isn't when you're chained up and you're a slave to something, you can't unchain yourself. Redemption comes from outside of you and frees you. You can't do it yourself. Jesus does that for us. And when you're riddled with that sense of, I, have, I am so hopeless, it can't even be because we're, we battle with emotional struggles. We may be struggling with um, anxiety. We may be struggling with uh, depression. We may be struggling in all sorts of ways. It sends us into a spiral and we think we're not good enough and we see here God's grace has appeared. Even if you continue to battle with this, you're still saved by his redemption. Even if you know you've spent the good part of all of your life being selfish, stealing from others, leaving chaos in the relationships behind you, grace of God has appeared. It's not about your morality. He's come to deal with that, to take your, your uh, debt. Redemption covers it all. I wonder if there's someone here today who's heard that many times but it hasn't clicked in your mind. You are free in Jesus because of his grace. If you don't think you need freedom, if you don't think you need Jesus, it's what we need to be, just as a side point uh, for our, uh, us as a church, it's what we need to be constantly praying about for our community and our society. They just don't think they need God. That's why people don't want to be part of God's people necessarily. They're just a little apathetic to it. It's good for them, but not for me. It's the prayer we must have that people see their problem and that we speak into it in a gracious, godly and helpful way. And if you don't think, if that's you, if you don't think that you need this freedom, just consider for a moment. What if Jesus is God? What if the Christmas story isn't 
just a made-up story? What if it is true and the God of the universe became flesh, gave up his authority and title? The one who gives you breath right now. That next breath you take, he gives you until you stop breathing. What if that God did come into the world and die on the cross facing his father's wrath for all of our sin and then because he's God conquers death rises again and now is reigning if that is true can you honestly say I don't need that because I'm a good enough person If that was good enough for God, would he do that? Would he send his son? If God's just willing to, hey, you know what? I don't have a standard of um, how you're supposed to live with me. My holiness doesn't matter how I am. You, you You can just be in total rebellion towards me and come into my presence. I'm fine with it. Or, in his amazing grace... He took that cost. Apathy towards God who has done that is disastrous. I think when that clarity is realised, moving out of ignorance to seeing God is saying, you've got a problem, but just as quickly as he tells you your problem and you see your guilt, you see he takes it. On himself. God's people don't do it their own way. Now, I want to encourage you today to truly consider, ask yourself this question, all of you, even if you come to go all the time, I want to ask you right now, are you in Or are you out when it comes to God's grace? Do you see what he's done and it's all for you and you believe in that and you trust it, you see how much he loves you and you go, yes. If you're here wrestling with that, I want to ask you, what do you think? Is it a yes for you for the first time? Because it's not now, oh yes, so I'm going to do all these things, is it, to get in? Because we've just seen it's grace. But I want to say to you, and this is why I love this passage, the Christian uh, life is not, a, is not about getting in or getting out. It, it is on one sense, we want to be in relationship with God, but it's not about that. When it stops there, we've totally missed the point. We've totally missed the point because there's a reason that we um, take on board God's offer of salvation. We want to be his people. You see in verse 14 it said that he was purifying for himself a people. And so, the thing that saves you grace teaches us something. That last point there. Grace teaches us to say something very clearly. It teaches us because we get to motivations. Now, um, in school, uh, 
you know, primary school kids, high school kids, there needs to be an element of rules for school not to end up in chaos. Is that right, Julie? Yes. <laughs> I feel like I got in trouble then. <laughs> there needs to be, an, if you don't know, Julie's a principal. Uh, there needs to be an element of rules. Okay? You, you've got to have rules, otherwise chaos ensures, ensues. In a Christian school, you, you want to teach about Jesus. But what you don't want to teach kids is that Jesus is about following all these extra rules. You see? I was talking uh, with my eldest daughter and she had a conversation this week where she's saying others, um, others just say, you know what, you've got so many rules to follow as a Christian. You can't do this, you can't do that. You can't. It's just all these rules, 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 rules. Now, if we think that's what the Christian life is about, we've totally missed the point. What saves you, changes you. Can I say that again? What saves you, Jesus' death on the cross, his grace for us, changes you. And that is why Paul, after he says, God saved you. He doesn't say, so now do these things and you must do them and they're your rules. What does he say in verse 12? Have a look at verse 12 with me. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. God's grace is how you figure out how you live. Your motivation changes how you live. And so when we have like the Ten Commandments, they don't motivate you to change, they just help you see, I want to change and live for God. And so, oh, that gives me clarity on God's ways because they highlight His holiness and how I'm supposed to live. And so when the New Testament talks about how we're to live in society and, how, and how, when we go to 1 Peter next week, we see it's God's grace that shapes us. We've got to get away from thinking, I've just got to do a list of things. Our worldview changes. We now think about how does Jesus want me to live as part of his people? I think that one of the most helpful ways to see this is to think, I now, we're talking from a Christian perspective, right? I now hate what I once loved. So, now, I now hate sex outside of marriage, whereas once, like the rest of society, I thought, why wouldn't you? It's fantastic. I now embrace what I once thought was lame, stupid, taking away my freedom. That God made sex to be beautifully embraced in marriage of a husband and a woman. This is one example of how God's way changes us and orients us to think differently. You see, when it says it teaches us to say no, what's the it? God's grace? Jesus. 
Jesus teaches us to say no and then to say yes to living self-controlled lives. Look at the life of Jesus. If you read a gospel story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and you look at how Jesus conducts himself and you spend most of that time reflecting on his death and resurrection and how he lives in the garden and, and, and what he says after the garden, you have the framework for how you live in life. The rest of the New Testament elaborates and spells that out and gives us the details on the bones and God's revelation does that for us. What saves you changes you. We want to not live by rules. We want to live by grace. So let me finish. We need to consider whether this offer of grace, the grace of God has appeared and brings or offers salvation. What is being offered? A life with God, a life with God forever, wanting to live for Him. That is what's on offer for you, if you're wondering. The question is, do you want to accept that grace? It's amazing grace. It truly is extraordinary that we can have life with God forever. Jesus appears. He comes into the world to give you life. The question is, do you want to accept it on his terms? Quite simply, to trust, not earn. See that there? If you're wondering, how is it that I come into this relationship with God, but I don't do anything, it's to say, I trust in Him and I won't seek to earn His favour. It's the giving of the money to Tim for no reason and trusting in that. If Tim gave me the $50 back and said, no, no, I think this is going to blow up in my face, it's a practical joke, $50 note. He's not trusting in it. Do we see God's offer of salvation like that? He says, here it is, and we go, oh no, I don't want that. Or, oh, thank you God, trust it. That's how you accept it. Be encouraged today, friends, that this is what we all can have in trusting in Jesus. And so let me encourage you if you want to know um, what next steps to take, don't walk out today and not deal with grace in your life. Chat to someone. I will talk about grace you know, until I'm blue in the face. All right? So if you want to wrestle with it more with me, I'd love to. I'd love to do it after uh, a cup of coffee during the week. Um, if you've got friends that you brought along and brothers and sisters who come every week, why, why aren't we talking more about grace together? If you don't know where you are with God but you really want to think about it, investigate it more, come back with us. If you're the kind of person who goes, you know what, I'm happy to read the Bible with a friend or with anyone just to get my head around it, you can do that. Next week, um, we're going to launch our uh, summer series 
and, our, and, and how we're going to, uh, our, our, our Christian course as well, uh, as well next week. So come, come back and hear all about that and what we're going to do over summer after Christmas. Um, on the communication card, you can write down what you think, if you've got any questions, and we'd love to help you out. But I'm going to finish by quite simply thanking God that Jesus appeared. Heavenly Father, we can understand a definition of grace. It's something we don't deserve. But it's far more than that. It's grace that's appeared in your Son, who's given life for us. Thank you for him. Father, we pray that we will trust in his grace. Not earn your favour, but learn from your grace how to live for you. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen.